1: Now, before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a moment to introduce you to a brand and their newest product, which I know many of you absolutely need to know about. And so that brand is SRC Health. Now, I can completely raise my hand here and say that I am such a fan of the SRC Health range. In particular, I lived in their recovery shorts after I had the boys, my twin boys, over seven years ago. And I can still remember feeling so supported and so glad that I had those recovery shorts. They have a whole range of incredible products. But today I want to introduce you to their product called the SRC Restore Uterine Prolapse and Continence Treatment Underwear. It is really, really important that we talk about incontinence and also prolapse. I've done podcast episodes before speaking about prolapse because it can often happen to women after they have a baby or babies that you find yourself dealing with either a mild or even a severe prolapse. It's so important if you have any health concerns that you do explore treatment options with your own healthcare provider it may be a great idea as well to connect with a women's health physiotherapist. But just know you are not alone. And this product was designed by women for women to support you and to help you so that you can live and laugh without fear of leakage. This product provides a new level of confidence and support for women who are suffering with mild urinary prolapse or mild stress urinary incontinence. As I said, it's a revolutionary product because it is specifically designed to actually address and aid the treatment and the cause of these concerns. This is not a product that is designed to deal with just the symptoms and the side effect. This is not a pad. This is an actual garment that can assist in the treatment of these health concerns, which is why it is so unique. It is designed to produce activity in the pelvic floor muscle to treat the cause which I just, I can't stress enough. It is so important to make strides towards the cause, not just going, oh, okay, now I can't jump and I can't laugh without having a pad on, so that's just my life now. That could be the case, or it's very likely that you can actually make strides towards improving this concern. And that's why it's important to treat the cause not just the symptom. When I was reading up on the reviews of this product, I actually got a little bit teary because I know so many women who have suffered in silence thinking that there's something wrong or that their body is failing them. And so it's so nice to read through these stories and these reviews of women who felt like that and were then able to turn around their conditions and gain so much more confidence in their body, and in their ability. So definitely check out the reviews that are shared over on the SRC Health website. There's also a great video there explaining why this product was designed by women for women. It took them close to two years to nail this garment, and it is such a high-quality product. SRC Health really believe in their range so much so that they offer a 100% money back guarantee which is just incredible. Now today I also have a code to share with you which is going to give you 50% off, that's the biggest discount code I think I've ever shared here on the podcast, 50% off this product. So you can use the code, all in capitals, S-R-C-R-E-S-T, 50%, that's the number five zero and then the percent symbol to take half of the price off when you check out. So head on over, check out srchealth.com. That code again, S R C R E S T five zero percent fifty percent to save today. I will put all of these details in the show notes. Definitely check out this product and just know you are not alone. Welcome to today's episode. This podcast is a conversation about birth trauma. My guest today is Dr. Erin Bao. Erin is a clinical and perinatal psychologist, course creator, business mentor, and author of More Than a Healthy Baby, Finding Strength and Growth After Birth Trauma. Dr. Erin has over 12 years experience in supporting families through trauma to find growth, strength, and beautiful resilience that they never knew was possible. Erin, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this chat with me. I'm really excited to explore this topic with you. Oh, pleasure, thanks Kylie. Now, there are so many different tangents that we could grab onto with this topic, but I think it's really important that we start at the very beginning and get clear about what exactly a birth trauma is.
2: Mm, i I've got sound of music vibes in my head when you said that. Oh, really? <laughs> Starting at the very <laughs> the beginning. Very beginning. <laughs> um, so a birth is traumatic if you say it is. That's my really easy explanation. And whilst, like, the endless Google searches and the endless questions and messages I've had over the years of, like, what counts and, like, anything counts, if you say it's traumatic... It's traumatic. It's in the eye of the beholder. So it can mean physical injuries and things that people go, Yep, that definitely sounds not so good. But often the tricky part is it can be a lot of it in the interpersonal things the way that you were spoken to, the way that you were treated, the lack of control, the lack of choices, the lack of consent, the lack of autonomy. So it can be visible in terms of like people can see a physical injury and go, yep, I understand that. But often it's in the things that nobody else saw or experienced but you and your partner in that little room where (laughs) who knows what goes on except for the people in it. So it can be whatever, whatever you consider traumatic.
1: Which I think is so important to distinguish because I know a lot of women have reached out to me and said, I found labour and birth to be really traumatising, but nothing went wrong, in air Mm. quotes. And it's like, no, no, if you found your labour and your delivery to be traumatising, then it was traumatising to you. Yeah, absolutely. Simple as that. Yeah, which is really important to understand. Now, how does birth trauma impact women in the short term
2: in the short term it's really that escalating like birth is so out of body anyway right (laughs) like it takes you to all sorts of places that you just like can't even describe in words so when something happens and it's kind of like we would describe as too much too fast and too soon which like often that's birth anyway or too long and <laughs> all the different time space continuum things that happen it your body and your brain just doesn't have enough time to process to compute what's going on not even a little bit and unlike any other traumatic event that you can imagine like a car crash or, you know, some sort of illness, injury, big event that people understand. The really weird, tricky thing about birth that we don't acknowledge is that like almost seconds after potentially the most traumatic thing that's ever happened in your life, people expect you to be excited. They expect you to be happy. Like there's this, oh, well, forget about all of that, this amazing positive thing has happened, which, of course, a baby is the biggest event in your life, but you've got no time, no space, no energy to switch between I felt like I was going to die potentially and oh wow, this most amazing, special thing in my life has happened. And we don't do that. We don't expect people to flip so quickly with like any other event that I can think of. So mm. that's the thing I think that people get lost in the like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be feeling all these wonderful, loved up things. And you might be, it might be later. Um, that the trauma hits, It's, it's different for everybody.
1: It's so true what you said about just feeling unprepared and out of control. And that was something that I experienced myself. And I remember thinking, Kylie, you've had nearly nine months to be prepared for this. Like, how are you feeling like it's all happening too fast, too soon, it's too much? I remember when I was going in to have my emergency C-section, I just had this overwhelming panic attack and I wanted to climb the walls and that's how I felt of going, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, but also going, how can you not be ready? You've been waiting for this. It's kind of like holding both sort of experiences at once.
2: Mm, I mean, you, you can prepare in as much as you can, your mindset and all of that. But, I mean, birth has its own, (laughs) it really has its own journey. It has its own timeline. There is no true rehearsal for it. So even if you have the most chilled, positive, zen, whatever birth, you are still going to have those moments of going, oh, didn't expect that. Like... People, you know, they say like, oh, nobody prepares you for it. Nobody can describe it. And I think because some of it is, it's just indescribable, the things that you go through physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, everything. It's just, yeah, it's a whole different world.
1: It's a wild ride. Now, in the longer term, what sort of impacts might um, sort of present themselves from having experienced a traumatic birth? I think a common one, again, if we go back to expectations
2: that people put on themselves, sometimes things like that first birthday, again, preparing for something that's supposed to be this amazing, positive, exciting experience for some little person who gets a cake and gets presents and all of that. It's like, well, 12 months after your trauma, and there's nobody buying the mum presents, (laughs) like making her a cake to go, well done you like you got through it so I think a huge part of it is this split between you know these are all these feelings that I'm having these are all these experiences and yet I have this very strong sense from what you know other people tell me from what society expects of how I'm supposed to feel and I just don't feel like that so those sorts of things, anniversaries for things you're like, I know I'm supposed to feel positive and maybe part of me does, but I just don't feel, you know, I still feel scared. I still have nightmares at night. I feel numb or I feel like I haven't really bonded with this baby yet. Um, It can be anxiety about every little noise, every little smell, every little sound. It just impacts your whole nervous system and your whole brain and your whole body Um, and I think it stays with people and it can stay with people for a really long time this is not something that you know kind of just disappears (laughs) like on its own I've met people like well into their well actually if you speak to older adults sometimes those people well into their 70s and 80s who still remember the day that they gave birth and if it was scary or traumatic they might not necessarily use the word traumatic but they remember how they were made to feel nobody's forgetting that
1: so it can stay with you for a really, really long time. And I imagine that for a lot of women, they experience an overwhelming amount of guilt at times or, you know, feelings of inadequacy or failure if something has gone, again, in quotes, off script or something's kind of been out of their control. I know personally, I've spoken to women who have really beat themselves up thinking, you know, this is the one thing that my body should be able to do and it didn't do it in the way that they had hoped. So if a woman is really deep in that guilt, how can she effectively begin to process or accept her experience? And I mean, as you said, we might carry, we will likely carry these experiences our whole life, but it's important to make some sort of degree of peace with you know, our own journey and experience. So where should a woman begin if she's feeling that burden of guilt? I think the first step that
2: I always suggest to people is to really, really let yourself settle into the idea of self-compassion. Because if you can't give compassion to yourself, nothing anyone, anyone, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, like a good friend, anyone will say to you will land at all. Like you'll hear it, but you won't really deeply fill it on any sort of bodily level. So that self-compassion that you did the best that you could with the circumstances that you had and, you know, the things that we will go through, I suppose, for the love of a child is, like, it's limitless. So those you know the shower fantasies oh i've had them too when you look back at your birth and you think well if i did it this way or if i said that or if i refused that or maybe i shouldn't have made this decision or maybe like we can do that over and over and over and over and over but ultimately it is sitting in the self compassion part and sometimes what can be helpful is this bigger picture sense of if it wasn't this event it would be something else and it will be something else because don't want to sound too grim about it, but ultimately, like, I think something that helped me very much with my own verse was thinking, well, I sort of feel like ultimately we are here to suffer. There is no life that is free of things that don't go to plan, sufferings, grief, pain. It's not so much in the event itself. It's what you tell yourself it means about you. Instead of saying, well, it means I was a failure, it means I was weak. Instead trying to access that place, which does not happen overnight. This takes time. It's a it really is a process. But accessing the strength and going, well, look how strong that means I am. Look how compassionate that means I am. Look how capable it means I am. Like for me it's tricky because I think about, for example, the pushing out a five kilo baby who had severely stuck shoulders it means every time i stub my toe or i get a paper cut (laughs) it's always (laughs) that like well i did push out a 5 kilo baby so yeah you can put things
1: into perspective
2: it doesn't mean the pain goes away it doesn't (laughs) mean i'm like superwoman and don't feel anything but i think yeah trying to access that the bigger meaning of make it mean something other than you feeling like the biggest piece of crap that ever existed, it has to mean something else. There's something to draw out of every unpleasant experience. That's what we're here for. That's my
1: that's my two cents. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. I think that there are so many gifts in the challenges and it can be really hard to get to a place where you can actually lean into those sort of Pinterest quote types of philosophies. But it is. It's really, really important to understand, as you said, if it's not this, it's something else. And when we go down the path or when we start to go down the path of beating ourselves up with all of the what ifs or the I should have, it's a really slippery slope. And there are times when we just have to go, you know what, it is what it is. And I can't keep berating myself and I can't keep imagining a different outcome if I had just done something different.
2: Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I guess the other perspective that helps, which is a little bit emotionally manipulative, but it tends to work pretty well on mums, I use it on myself sometimes, is if you can't access that self-compassion and finding the strength for yourself, think about modelling that for your child. Because ultimately, I don't know about you, I don't want my child to experience like a setback, and blame themselves for it and feel like every piece of grief, suffering, pain is their fault and it means that they're weak, it means they're broken, it means something else. So it it might help sometimes if you think about, all right, if you can model this practice of self-compassion for yourself, you're actually breaking that trauma cycle that every single one of us has of things that get passed down. And that's pretty powerful.
1: Absolutely. It is. That's a tool that I often lean into. And I speak about particularly when it comes to even just spending time, energy resources on yourself as a mum. So many women find that really, really hard. But one of the unlocks can be, Hey, if you do this for yourself, you're then showing your daughter that she matters, or you're then showing your son that His partner in life might, you know, one day might, might, you know, he might have a different level of expectation if he ends up in a marriage. So it's all about kind of reframing it. And I think it can be really powerful to look at it through your kid's eyes and it kind of gives you then permission to do what you need to do. Yeah, well, I
2: mean it's it's a really roundabout opportunity to work on yourself. We don't often get to choose them. Well, I think like people don't typically wake up and go, hmm, "I'm going to work on myself today." There's usually some sort of event that, like you know, people don't come and see psychologists when everything's going well and they're chilled and happy. There's usually been some sort of event or a catalyst that has caused them deep pain, deep suffering, that then becomes the gateway to get go and do the thing, work on yourself. So yeah, the um, the deep self-care stuff is, it's not pleasant, it's not fun, it's uncomfortable, but once you wade through some of it, you do come out the other side with a sense of, oh wow, look what I did, go me. Not straight away, but that's what we're aiming for.
1: Get there. Now you mentioned going to a psychologist and I know a lot of people right now are seeking some help, and a lot of people are using the term resilience just with everything that we've gone through with the global pandemic um, and all of the, the waves of emotions with that. So resilience really is a very popular word in the lexicon right now. And as I said, so many people are having conversations about how to improve resilience and what it means to be resilient. Do you think that resilience is getting conflated with a bit of a get over it attitude or um, you know, people out there have it worse, that kind of mentality? What's the difference there for you when it comes to resilience and the opportunity to grow?
2: Mm, it's a good point that you raise because resilience is kind of being thrown around like this. It's almost like a slur. It puts everything back on the person. It sort of brings up these connotations of resilience is a thing about you as a person as opposed to a set of skills
1: that you could learn. So yeah, It's like a coat of armour type thing.
2: Yeah, and it's it's an easy thing for people to say, actually, when they don't really know how to help you. <laughs> like, that's the other thing that happens. But we hear it, you know, from people who work in hospitals all the time, like, be more resilient, be more resilient, be more resilient. It, it can mean all sorts of things, but often it is just thrown it's kind around. It's just the, like saying, be better. <laughs> yeah, be better. Okay. Change something about yourself instead of offering actual, you know, ways to grow. So the the term I think that's more useful is one that's been around in the trauma research for a long time but it's only we're only just sort of starting to catch up even with trauma being everyday conversation now post-traumatic growth which is a different um process so with resilience i guess if you kind of imagine this like horizontal line and you're cruising along you have a blip in life whatever that looks like after that event you kind of go back to the same level that you were at before Whereas with post-traumatic growth, you actually never go back to that original horizontal line state. You almost like jump on a trampoline and just like catapult yourself further further and further and further and further into the air and you come out stronger, more capable, more compassionate, more insightful than you ever were. But there's an awful lot of stuff to wade through in the middle to get to that bit. So it's not just about just be stronger, just be more grateful, think about people who have it worse than you. It doesn't, that's that's never really, I mean, it can be helpful in the moment if you realise you just, you know, having a moment. But in terms of long-term growth, like there's no psychological therapy that is like, well, just sit down and think about all the people who've got it worse than you because there will always be someone who's got it worse, always. That's not particularly helpful long-term. The long-term stuff is more about that as I keep saying, the self-compassion, the deep leaning into I've done the best that I can and I can still keep doing the best that I can. And it's not like it's not an end point to get to. No one's ever, like, done with their trauma. Tick it off. Like, off we go. There's going to be more. That's what we're here for. So, yeah, finding that growth from what what it means, what it means. And it's not about um, – You know, I'm very, very wary for people to get any sort of sense that it just means picking up your pom-poms and being more positive. It really is a deep, deep process that is personal for everybody and takes time, Um, but it is uncomfortable in the way to get there. So.
1: And so to lean in, as you said, and also to practice developing compassion and to lean into that work and the invitation for growth, what are some tangible tools? Where does one begin? Is it with talk therapy? Is it with a support group? Like, Where can people actually begin to uncover um, the growth in it for themselves? There's a few, I
2: mean, there's so many different approaches and I think this is the other thing. There is no one kind of best fit. Um, some people are fans of talking and there's, you know, research for that. But it's it's a long-term process. There's nothing super, super quick Because of the fast nature of trauma and it gets stored, I suppose, in your memory and in your cells in all sorts of different ways, usually you're going to need some sort of bodily practice, I use that in a, in a loose term to mean whatever you want, in terms of integrating experiences like uh, all those things that you can't quite put your finger on, but you know when you smell a certain smell or you hear a certain sound, it makes you feel distressed in your body. Because trauma is essentially taking you back into a memory. And what we tend to, well, we don't really understand why trauma happens
1: in the first place.
2: like. There's lots and lots of books written, lots and lots and lots of papers written, but there's no like point. <laughs> yeah, there's no like you can't chop somebody's brain open and go, There it is, let's get it, let's pull it out. So it's um a big, big, big map of all these different parts and each part has you know it's like that story in the dark dark wood there's a dark dark tree in it like yeah I always think of that um so figuring out your unique response and where that response is stored and essentially doing the work to I suppose I'm simplifying a little bit but tell your brain that you are now in the present and the moment has passed because what tends to happen is you don't cognitively think oh, I'm stuck in the past. But your nervous system, until it fully knows, I suppose in inverted commas, that the threat has passed and that you are safe, it will keep sort of popping up these um, like those virus protection things that come up on your computer. And if you're doing them, you just like flick them away and go, I don't want to deal with that now. I'll deal with it later. And then um, Mm. then your partner says, well, your laptop's got a virus. (laughs) Why didn't you click the software? I was busy. Um, So your brain will just keep popping up reminders of the trauma. And it's almost like this bit of information coming up and going, what do you want to do with this file? Is this useful? Do you want me to store it? Is this still a threat? So it's like your brain and your nervous system constantly going through this phase of saying, am I safe? Is, Am this I still real, a, is this a real yeah. threat
1: or is this a warning
2: light? Yeah, and so there's no kind of like one one thing that can help with all of that. It, I think it really is a personalised individual choice. For some people in the initial um, phase, tr- talking about it can make it worse, <laughs> which is another thing that, I, you know, it's why I'm sort of uh, I, some people love their one approach, and will say to you, this is the only approach that is going to work. This is the only approach that has long-term research effects and bloody, bloody, blah, blah, and all of that. But it really is very, very nuanced, and I think sometimes we don't appreciate how much it can take for people to try a couple of different things and see what's the right fit for them.
1: Absolutely. There are so many modalities available Out there, which is wonderful on one hand, but then it's so overwhelming on another because I think that's why, you know, so many women do just hit minimize tab when that that thing pops.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
1: up because it's like oh I don't know how to deal with this but I mean I can only speak from my experience and I know during my own life at times when I keep minimizing that tab and I keep ignoring the warning light it comes out in other ways so it comes out in either me being um, less patient or more emotional or overreacting or it might come out in you know, disordered habits, because I'm trying to find a way to control my situation. And one thing that I would just, you know, urge people to consider is, if you notice that you are having really strong emotional reactions over things that might not necessarily warrant a really big emotional reaction, or you notice that you are perhaps leaning into some unhealthy behaviors to cope, that, is a really big indicator that it might be time to actually look at what's going on Um, because the more that you keep suppressing that, it keeps coming back louder and louder. And often I think we're so afraid to sit with our negative emotions because they feel so big. But all too often what I keep learning over and over and over again, Erin, for me is it's the thought Of facing the negative emotions not actually the negative emotions because when i sit in my sadness or i sit in my loneliness or i sit in my trauma it's awful but it's less awful than having to continually push it away if that makes sense
2: yeah it does it makes total sense and i think that shows uh, how much work you've done to get to the point to be able to explain that which For a lot of people, when they're just this like whirlwind of different emotions and sensations and things that are unpleasant and unbearable, you're right. The idea of actually having to sit down and look at it, it is often it's the fear of the fear. It's not so much in the experience itself, it is in the anticipation. And yet, funnily enough, like you're already living it. <laughs> like we yeah. go through this thing, we're like, I don't wanna I don't wanna suffer, I don't want pain and yet by avoiding it I'm in it anyway.
1: So it's it's a beautiful conundrum of like being here. Paradox. it? (laughs) It sure is. And as you said, I mean it's one thing for me now to talk in that way, but I've definitely had a lot of therapy and I've gone through lots of tricky things. So I've had lots of invitations for growth. But I know after I had the boys, I didn't have the dialogue to explain what I was experiencing. As I referenced earlier, I had an emergency C-section and I was having a massive panic attack. I found the delivery incredibly hard. I found the fact that the boys went straight to special care incredibly hard. And all of that kind of presented itself in what I would describe as probably coming across as being difficult to other people in the early days of having the boys. You know, like I was probably not probably, I was territorial of the boys because I was feeling so much, I guess, guilt and sadness about them going into the special care unit. And so extended family members were looking at me and making comments on, you know, trying to encourage me to relax and taking it personal that I was so territorial over these newborn boys. And, I don't think my experience is rare. I think a lot of new mums find themselves in these situations, particularly with extended family or friends, where what they've just been through is not being taken into consideration and we're expected to be completely normal and gracious and all of these things when really we've just gone through one of the biggest events of our lives. Mm,
2: it is so true, and I think that experience, particularly when it comes to babies and children, of having conflicting push-pull emotions, it's not something that's very well accepted. And yet, you can, you know, I often use this example of you can be furious at your partner. You can like have some fairly <laughs> intense thoughts, fairly
1: strong, though. <laughs> that you you
2: know you, you wouldn't want to like tell people out loud but at the same time still love them. And yet we're not allowed as mums to do that with our children. You are supposed to be serene and calm and like, you know, all of these things all the time, which is just not the expectation we put on ourselves for our other relationships. So it's it's a challenge, I think, to sit in that acceptance of we are very capable of experiencing a wide range of different emotional states at once. And with trauma in particular, that is a common thing, that you can have different extremes. It might be that you don't want your babies out of your sight, but for other people it might be being around them is actually quite triggering. It's confronting. It makes them feel angry. Like you think even of experiences like Like for me, it was breastfeeding, you know, it's like I want to breastfeed you, I want to have this bonding experience thing, and yet you have caused me so much pain and frustration, you know, so we can have these big conflicting emotions, and all emotions to do with birth and postpartum have to be okay i think that's a huge part of this experience of not sitting alone in the silence of like oh god if i told people what i was thinking what would happen to me what would happen to my baby so i just have to keep everything close and to myself and that's not like doing us any favors
1: (laughs) well i can say that when i was doing in-home consultations and i would be visiting families that had newborns so often, part of the dialogue that we were having was, you know, these mums were sort of breaking down and they were exhausted, and they would share things with, like, share things with me, excuse me, things like, you know, sometimes at night, I just feel so angry at my baby, or, um, you know, just overwhelming urges and thoughts and feelings. And whilst, of course, there's got to be a line in the sand somewhere of going, okay, that's, you know quite dark and you might need support with that but also normalizing that level of frustration that you might feel is really important
2: Mm, and we've got to remember like the perinatal time is such a nuanced time anyway delineating between what is trauma what is sleep deprivation what is the fact that your identity and your relationship has changed what is hormones what is nutrition what is lack of support and somewhere in the mix, like <laughs> you're supposed to figure out what what the answer to that is. It's it's a lot more complex than just I think this personalised thing that happens to mums where they go, Well, this must be because of something I've done Or not done instead of looking at the broader picture for generally speaking how birthing and postpartum mums are treated like i always think like where are the five-star luxury resorts for mums (laughs) who are feeling broken and bleeding to go to there's there's not like you get half a hand sandwich and a cup of tea
1: like (laughs) back to it Yeah. yeah so just back to as well being you know how we're treated after giving birth what would your advice be specifically for women who do feel like their trauma has been minimized or dismissed by family and friends because that was a question that came through um a lot when i opened up over on instagram stories about speaking on this topic so many people reached out and said i felt traumatized but everyone in my life dismissed it Mm. Hmm.
2: It is a really common thing, which is, I think, reflective of the fact that when people don't fundamentally understand something, a common response is to dismiss it. Another common one is to say something that is not maybe, if you think like the best of people, what they intended to say, but I am a big believer in when people genuinely don't know what to do, how to help, they get their brain does a bit of a weird, <laughs> like, let me just access possibly like the worst thing I could access, because then it means they don't have to be confronted with the fact that they don't understand and they don't get it. Um, and there will always be those people in your life who are just very straight up and down and like, oh, I don't get it, okay. But I think it's not your job to be a trauma educator. It's not your job. Even for people who are highly trained, you are always, always, the amount of messages I've had over the years from people who, like, you know, it's not that bad, it's not as bad as it was in the dark ages, how can you go on about this so much, blah, blah, blah. Like there are always going to be those people and I just think it's not your job to educate them. (laughs) Like let them find their own education in their own trauma Um, that will happen at some Mm -hmm. stage. You don't wish anyone any ill but I think that's the first thing, it's not your job and creating really clear boundaries for yourself because again if we go back to the example of what's the example that you want to set for your kids like if someone is not coming into your life to be expansive and helpful and supportive particularly in those early years you've got to be well within your right
1: to say okay thanks there's the door which is all well and good to say but it's really hard it's really hard in the moment to go okay it's not my job because it feels so personal you mm. feel so not seen not understood so dismissed it's really hard Aaron I think for mums to go okay it's not my job to educate people on this trauma so it's it's yeah it's a tricky one
2: yeah i think that's it's part of I guess, leaning again into the self-compassion and leaning into the acceptance of trying to control things and trying to change things because I guess that's what it ultimately comes back to. And, again, you know, we've all had those shower fantasies of the thing I wish I could have said had only I thought of it at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I sit there with the sense that there have been plenty of times in my life as well where I'm like, yeah, I wish I could have just said this and I wish I could have just done that but... It's if people don't get it, like we can kind of put the feelers out, but it's like anything else. Behaviour change doesn't happen. It Like just blanket cannot happen unless someone is even window shopping. And by that I mean they're at least pre-contemplative, They're at least a tiny bit open to receiving what you have to say. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't shove books under their nose and put websites in front of them and keep saying, well, this is my experience. Only I can speak from my experience. You actually don't get an opinion on my experience. They've got to be at least open and receptive to make any sort of behaviour change. That is a fundamental thing about humans, like from as far back in history as you want to go. Mm -hmm.
1: I think maybe if I was to go back and give myself any advice in that time, it would be to really understand that using or expending my energy on trying to explain is not a good use of energy. As you said, you can't change someone's mind and the more energy you put into trying to change someone's mind or the more energy you give to feeling offended that someone doesn't understand you that's taking energy from self compassion it's taking energy from you know parenting like it's it's just draining your resources yeah
2: absolutely and it is the i suppose continuing metaphor for parenting anyway you you cannot attempt to navigate motherhood in particular because I do think mothers do have it worse I'm just saying without the judgment you cannot make any decision as a parent for yourself for your baby without someone going oh I don't know if that's what I would do or oh, I don't know if I do it that way because humans are fundamentally judgmental creatures that's how we decide you know, from an evolutionary point of view, who is safe, who is like me, who is going to, you know, try and poison me, who's going to snatch my baby. That's it. So judgment has its place. I think trying to change it is again, that sort of like futile thing that we all do, but in being yourself and doing things the way that fundamentally feels right for you, that is also how you find your people.
1: just to sort of change gears a little bit when it comes to preparing for birth do you think that birth plans are helpful or do you think that they're potentially tricky as they add that other layer of expectation
2: yeah I think like an idea for what you want is really really important because things that are important to you you like someone else will make that decision for you and so Whilst I guess yeah, there's a there is a trickiness that gets talked about, particularly amongst birth workers, about really, really, really detailed plans and saying this is exactly the way I want everything to go. But I think being clear about things like consent and your values and your choices is important because otherwise those things do get missed. And this is where a huge like subset, I suppose you could talk about for birth trauma is tied up in things where people were not really given an informed choice um you know the the phrase that often gets thrown around like the dead baby card you know if you don't do this insert whatever procedure decision choice you don't want to end up with a dead baby do you instead of going through the like well what's the risk what's the benefits all the sort of you know careful decision making plans that need to happen in a situation where there is not a genuine emergency when there is a genuine emergency you know because things happen very very quickly and there's often not a lot of time and there is a real risk Um, but I'm talking about the situations in which people went well I don't really know if I wanted that procedure I don't really know if I should have waited or uh, you know everyone will have their thing that they're nodding along to (laughs) potentially where they're like yeah I'm not actually sure that went the way I was supposed to go. So definitely having a plan for what you want in terms of your choices, your values, is a thing to go back to. And that is often the thing that people will refer back to um, when there's queries about, well, I, I didn't like that this happened, or I'm wanting to complain about something in particular. The birth plan is often the thing that people will go back to. And it just creates like a, I suppose a sense that like, well, this is your space. You know, Sometimes birth can feel like going into someone else's space and you're a guest. No, you're the customer, if you want to call it that way. You're the consumer. This is your space, your body, your choices. Um, and the intersection between, I suppose, what is business practice policy and what is the law, it's very, very murky. And that's something for years when I've spoken to different parents about that, that is something that often gets very, very unclear. Um you know when you're talking about things sort of after the fact they're like oh I didn't know that that was not against the law it was just against hospital policy potentially so that is one of those tangents we talked about earlier that I yeah I'll stop
1: oh no no. I mean it's and it's such a big topic obviously Erin you know you know more than anyone that it's a huge topic and I imagine just having a birth plan can it can just encourage you to be your own advocate and to explore your options thoroughly. 100 mm, percent I think the
2: the ones that I think um the mums that concern me a little bit sometimes when like I'm just gonna wing it. Oh Michael please don't wing it. <laughs> please just just have some preferences, have some idea because the middle of birth is uh you know that frontal lobe of decision making you don't want that turned on anyway. So having all the decisions that you think you might want to make and that are important to you down on a piece of paper very very powerful
1: and i imagine that's powerful as well for someone who has experienced birth trauma but is preparing to have another baby or babies i imagine you would recommend they explore having a birth plan for that
2: yeah i think so because i mean the thing i always say to people is like different births different baby different outcome And without having some sort of roadmap for where you're going, the very nature of trauma is it will bring up that file of going, oh, this is what birth is. Here's all the things that you, like, have a felt sense or a memory or a thought about birth before. And if you want to stay in the present and focus on this particular baby and this particular day and this particular birth – you're going to actually need to keep reminding your brain that it's not, this is not the, the same tray. This is a different tray. Um, and this happens for birth workers as well. This drift that happens where we're like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. And you bring up your file, so to speak, of everything that your brain knows about that. And it responds as if it's something in the past instead of something in the future. So yeah, super, super, super important.
1: And for women that are fearful of having another baby, is there anything else that you would encourage them to consider to sort of help ease their worries?
2: I think it depends on where the trauma has come from in the first place. So if it's things like, um, you know, emergencies and lack of consent and lack of autonomy, really like looking into what you want to be different. This time. So, whether it's choosing a different care model, different provider, different hospital, different whatever it might be, and looking into getting that support. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think the thing I always come back to is again, this the power of saying different birth, different baby, different outcome, and knowing that for the most part, Birth (laughs) is not meant to be a medicalized, traumatic procedure. It is for a lot of people and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But it is possible, it is possible to prepare yourself enough the next time, even if you've come from a place of, you know, the the day my daughter, my first daughter was born, might not do that ever again. And yet the power, oh, the power of wanting to have children. Um, I did go and have another one. And I think I did, like personally I did a lot, a lot, a lot of work, and I talk about this in the book as well, of all the things that you can do to get yourself as best prepared as you possibly can be for a different But I think if nothing else, you just keep saying to yourself, different pregnancy, different birth, different day, different outcome, um, so that your brain doesn't drift.
1: Mm, And that drifting is really tricky to control when not only you have the emotional side of things with the trauma, but also the logical rationalizing of your brain going, well, of course, it's going to be the same because you've only had this one experience. Like, In life with anything if we only have one experience to gauge it by our brain is going to attach to that one experience and predict that the outcome will be the same so it's not just that emotional trauma imprint in your body and your mind it's also your brain going well logically yes this this will likely happen again like it's it has to I guess kind of take a lot of mental work to change that thought pattern Yeah,
2: it can do. And I think a really helpful thing is to look at birth stories, look at books, look at podcasts for people who have had multiple, multiple babies. um, You know, January Harsh's book, Birth Without Fear, she's had, I think she's got six kids, all completely different births, Um, you know, and I think if you speak to women who have had multiple babies, very rarely do they say, yeah, they're all the same. (laughs) Like
1: Yes. And that's, I think that's a huge key and something to highlight because when we want to build confidence, we need evidence. So Mm. actively seeking out evidence that it will, it might not be the same. It doesn't have to be the same. Really, really helpful. Mm. The evidence side of it. I love that. Now, one other thing that I wanted to touch on with you is birth trauma and how it can impact partners
2: hmm mm. this is often the forgotten piece of the puzzle very much so so vicarious trauma so something where you witness something happening to someone else or you hear about it can be just as impactful and it is still very much within the realm of what we would consider trauma we have a cultural narrative that says well it didn't happen to you so often it's the kind of man up and shut up thing. But what I would say is to consider the example where, you know, if you were just walking down the street and your pregnant partner was shoved to the ground, mugged, shot, cut, spoken to rudely, assaulted, anything like that, like there's very few situations where people go. Well, stand back. You know, it's not about you. <laughs> you know, you're in the way. That kind of thing. So, this. Yeah.
1: At At ease. You know, feelings don't count.
2: Exactly. And yet, in a birthing suite, um, there's a different culture. There's a different language. So, it's this experience again of witnessing something unfold. And sometimes I'll say to partners, you know, like it's that very extreme example. But sometimes I think an extreme example hits the spot for. You know, I, I would rather take the bullet than watch my child be shot or watch my partner be shot. Just I just would. like So sometimes watching something happening to someone else and it all unfolding, we can't do anything to help. Feeling powerless is one of the scariest, you know, things that we can go through. And then when the baby arrives, there's nowhere for all of that adrenaline and anger and trauma to go there's no validation for, um, I suppose, what you've just witnessed and how that might land in your body. So for partners, it can be even the more difficult because they're sort of pushed out in the triad anyway. Now it's all about mum and baby, and they're supposed to just sort of pick up and get on with it because it's not about them. And yet, again, in other traumas where people come to you and say, yep, yeah, I witnessed a car crash, I witnessed this happening, people have a bit more understanding and go of course you feel that way of course you feel that way of course you have all this numbness and anger and don't know what to do with it so yeah it's definitely something that is barely even skimming the surface of the partner experience but um yeah it's very important for us to keep thinking about it and keep talking about it because partners don't even know that that's a thing
1: and it's a unique pairing of powerlessness, as you said, you know, standing by and seeing it happen, but also uniquely paired with a responsibility of knowing that your partner is in this situation and you're in it together. You know, I imagine partners feeling a degree of responsibility as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a, layered. It is, and sometimes what it brings up for people is that sense of, like, I should have done something, and yet, as we were talking about before, you know, your rational brain knows, well, you're you're not supposed to jump in and punch the obstetrician. That's not what you do. So it just, it stays, it stays in the body as an incomplete trauma response, which often comes out later in things like, um, well, anger issues is an obvious one. Another one is just not wanting to be around the baby because, again, it's the unspoken thing that people sometimes don't like to talk about. But it's true that this baby or babies is the reason like on some level that your partner is going through what they're going through. So that can bring up a distancing and difficulties with attachment, um, numbing. That's another thing that happens, you know? So I think for a lot of that, it's, again, it's the self-compassion of understanding this unique experience that you're in where you watch something unfold. Your rational protective brain says, I should have done something and yet society norms tell you well you couldn't have done something so then where does that leave us so I think even just acknowledging that process um, because this is an experience that happens for birth workers as well sometimes um, we hear I hear so many stories of like a typical example might be that someone's birthing quite well everything's going fine they're being looked after by a midwife, and then, you know, a doctor who's never met you, who doesn't know anything about you, comes in and says, no, I think we need to do this, um, and that whole thing changes. And so that sense of, oh, I wish I could have done something more, I would have, you know, that protective instinct, it happens for midwives and nurses and obstetricians as well. Um, you know, they're not immune from this sense of vicarious trauma, of like I'm carrying this sense that something was incomplete and I can't do um, anything with those feelings i'm supposed to just kind of
1: suck it up and go home we're all such complex beings aren't we (laughs) We humans like there's always so much happening um and your book is just such a gift to anyone who wants to learn more on the topic your book is called more than a healthy baby erin where can our listeners connect with you and where can they grab a copy of your book the book is
2: available anywhere that you buy books pretty much that's and yeah, <laughs> I it's really easy um <laughs> and i i keep my life really really simple so it's just i don't do social media anymore it's just a website dr au. i do a weekly blog email that is the simplicity in my life that i've yeah i've not quite found the sweet spot but that's as close to a sweet spot as i can get <laughs> so
1: brilliant well I will link your website in the show notes as well for our listeners thank you again for your time and your knowledge on this huge topic it's been really really nice to speak with you today fine
2: thank you so much
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row